As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast, Aaron Portsline. Coming at you from Nationwide Arena, Allison Lucan is here. Hello. And the Blue Jackets, of course, open the preseason schedule tonight. Buffalo is in town uh, to play the Blue Jackets, and we are off and rolling. Training camp is now well underway. The Blue Jackets have gotten the scrimmaging and the, the worst of the skating we think behind them, uh, they will be off tomorrow, and now they're starting to get into, I wouldn't say the dog days of camp, but I think this is where you start to see separation, where the games start to pick up, and certain players start to elevate, uh, other players start to drift away, and then the cuts start happening. So uh, we, we are underway here. The regular season starts October 4th against the Toronto Maple Leafs, but already lots to get to. I think you look at this Blue Jackets uh, roster, I think people who know this roster and these players well, uh, Allison, think this, even as it's put together today, yeah, they lost a lot of people, but I think most people think this is, at minimum, a very competitive club. Like, you start to look, if you get past who they lost this summer and you start to look at who is left behind and what they have to work with, you say, you know what, that's still... It's a pretty deep forward team. The defense was not affected. The question really just becomes simply, can the goaltending be good enough for them to win? But there's also the sense, and if you talk to people around the league at all different levels, agents, other front office workers, uh, even players, that the Blue Jackets are the team that keeps popping up in the discussion, the maybe discussion that an offer sheet is still coming. And just to lay it out, the Blue Jackets or any team can play the offer sheet game with the restricted free agent even after the season has started. There's no deadline with the start of the season. The only deadline is December 1st. And if an RFA is not signed by December 1st, they cannot play. So uh, certainly no guarantee that the Blue Jackets are going to sign a player to an offer sheet. They have it. Attempted 
to do that already this summer. They've, they had discussions with Mitch Marner's agent. Um, I don't think it ever got to the point where an offer was on the table, but they certainly, both sides certainly knew where the other stood. Um, and there's reason to believe that the Blue Jackets are still considering that with some of the RFAs that are out there. Uh, Allison, your, we'll get to names here in a bit, but your thoughts on, I mean, this is what this front office is, right? They're, they're not conceding anything. Uh, I think they like this team, but they, they're always looking for ways to improve. And I think it's probably wise at this point to rule nothing out between uh, now and when the season really gets cranking. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head that this is, you know, maybe the, the national hockey scene wasn't fully aware of this prior, but this is the identity of this front office. I mean, we can go back to even, you know, looking at players like Marion Gaborik, right? And then bringing in a Brandon Saad and then bringing in an Artemi Panarin. And then the deadline last year is they're not afraid to make bold moves. Um, there's There's been a feel, I think, a perception that offer sheets don't happen because GMs don't want to rile up the league. But um, this is a team that isn't afraid of big moves. And I think also the other reason to to add credence to, to the noise is that all season, all summer, the line on the Blue Jackets has been this is a team with a ton of cap space. Yep. If there's an opportunity to apply that, as you said, to make the team better, they're going to do that. They are perfectly primed to make such a move. Yeah, and they fit all of the all of the key markers for a team that could do it. Totally. Um, you mentioned the cap space for sure. Um, the opportunity, the need really for a difference-making player up front. Right. Again, it's a competitive group. They've got some promising young players. I think if you look at the best teams in this league, though, I think you would say that they have more high-end superstar talent than Columbus does. I think that's fair. And while that may not cost them in terms of earning a playoff spot, it could be the difference maker in the postseason. They still they need that player. Maybe Texier becomes that in the next few years. Maybe Dubois continues to elevate. Um, but I, I think you can look at I think it's fair to say that this is a workmanlike and solid forward group, but not one that wows you with its high-end difference-making talent. So there's that. I think maybe the biggest element of this, and i got to be careful here, um, I think there is a, a professional pride, and I'm, just, I'm drawing a distinction between that and personal pride. There is a professional pride with the front office here that's having a hard time just simply backing up from, from what they believed was a Stanley Cup champion a worthy roster last year. And so was, is it in the right of Bobrovsky, Panarin, Duchesne to move along to other teams? Absolutely. Uh, are, are they bitter about that? Maybe on some level they're a little bitter, but more than anything, I just, I think they want to, to still be in that group of teams that can, that can hang, that can, they, in their mind, play for the Stanley Cup. They're not willing to give that up yet. Uh, and so I think that's driving this as much as anything. Like they, They're getting a taste of being one of the NHL's better teams and franchises, and I think it's harder for them to just accept 
taking a, a step back and letting it grow again uh, for a few years. I don't think they want to do that. Do you get that sense at all? Yeah, and I, and I think it, it even goes so far as to this is about reaffirming that commitment to the players who are here, right? right. I mean, all of this about we want players who want to be a Blue Jacket, this is also... It, in the right way, this isn't just a you know bravado move, but rewarding the players who say they want to be here by saying, we are going to do everything to give you the best chance to win, right? Yeah. And it's not about not believing in them, but you, know, you, you use the words game-breaking. We remember why Panarin was brought in was because the organization said, we know we need a dynamic offensive talent, a game-changer. Yep. And even analytically, there is theory that shows that, as, just as you said, the best teams have what's called a strong link player, right? You have the very best player you can get on your team because that can elevate you. That's, that's the difference. That's what closes the gap when it comes to winning a cup. And so I think, too, yes, they, they have pride, and they have pride in the players who stayed and want to reinforce those players' pride in the organization as well. Yeah. And so let's get into the names. I, mean, I think the team that is seen to be most vulnerable is Winnipeg with, with Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor, both RFAs. Now just think, think of Winnipeg's situation. You remember how disrupted or irritated the Blue Jackets were um, six years ago when Ryan Johansson wasn't in camp. Think about a few years ago when Josh Anderson wasn't in camp. And now imagine what must be going on in Winnipeg when, where may, arguably you're, well, two of your really elite forwards, Line A and Connor, are not in camp. Line A is on the other side of the world working out right. in, in Switzerland, I believe. Um, imagine what the Winnipeg Jets training camp must be like. Uh, they have $15 million bucks under the cap. That's a fair chunk of change. That's probably not enough to sign both of those guys without making some moves, and perhaps that is the problem. So how vulnerable are they? Could a team – and here's th these are some of the thoughts that have been sort of bandied about of the league here the last few weeks. Um, what if a team came to a player like Kyle Connor, like Patrick Laine, and said, we'll offer you one year at $13 million? <coughs> say 12 million, but 13 is a number that for some reason keeps being thrown around. That would be almost impossible for Winnipeg to match unless they immediately traded the other player. Right. And if the player wants a, a new location, isn't amenable to this, the first offer could be one year, 13 million with an understanding. And it could only be a gentleman's understanding at this point that at the soonest possible time, you would begin work on a long-term extension. Mm -hmm. January 1st, an eight-year extension to whoever they get. That would bring the AAV after that first year way down. Right. Probably in the nine, nine range, eight, nine, ten range, whatever, depending upon the years. And would allow that player to be acquired. Winnipeg could do nothing to stop it. The Blue Jackets would give up four first-round draft picks. Painful, yes. But they would get, in the case of Connor, a 30-goal player with tremendous upside. Uh, Patrick Laine, a goal, a player who has scored 40 goals in a season in this league with incredible um, capacity to score, uh, could be a regular 40-goal scorer. I think Connor is the player that's valued more, uh, both around the league but also uh, by Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so be that as it may, what would you what would you have to do to get Matthew Kachuk out of Calgary? They have about seven million dollars available. Could they make moves if if he were signed to an offer sheet of ten million dollars or more uh, per season? Those are the three names that really jump off to me. Uh, and just to do some nuts and bolts things here, the only the only level of offer sheet that the Blue Jackets can sign would be the lowest level, which I believe is like one point six million, which is almost irrelevant this right. time. Of, right. That is no compensation. So of course they could they could match that. And the highest level, ten point five million or more for first round draft picks. They can't do the middle tiers because they don't have a third round pick next year. So it's either all of it or none of it. Um, and there are five or six now RFAs still out there that are of, of elite status, I would say. Um, any of those players with you, uh, Allison, worthy of four first-round draft picks? Yeah, I mean, I think the three you, you mentioned are, I mean, you have to think that, that as you said, Kyle Connor would be maybe the best fit because he is so offensively, he's young, offensively talented, and also can play a little bit more <clears throat> of a two-way game right. versus a line A, right? Um, right. You know, and, excuse me. And what I what I really like about this too is, you know, we we focus so much on the creativity with a roster and the creativity on the ice. Like, what a creative move that you just outlined, right? right? To to use a one-year deal to price out the possessing team, if you will, the team that has the rights, but then work back into a manageable cap situation. Um, I really like that angle on the whole thing as well. But I, you know, I would say yes, Connor for sure. I think Line a is valuable. I think he's obviously a tremendous offensive player, but does he fit with the identity of this team? We talked about this last podcast. This team struggled maybe with fitting in the skill when they had elite skill before and Line A might just be too much on the extreme end of that scale in, in yeah. terms of who this group is right now. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's funny because for so many years, these, these offer sheets were deemed to be just a, a, a step too far for too many front offices. Right. Now I think they've, they've really come a long way in sort of accepting um, them as not a, an act of war, right. um, but just a something that's in the CBA that the teams can use. I think players are are really welcoming them now. Who was it? Uh, someone spoke openly to to Craig Custins. I can't remember who's why, or I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of the player. But it was pretty clear that yeah, yeah, you know, offer sheets are great. I hope I can. Simon next summer. <laughs> um, I don't think the young class is willing to play by the old rules anymore. So we may start seeing more of them. We saw one this summer that was, you know, quite um, quite easy for Carolina to yeah. match. Yeah, that's not the point of them. The point is, the point of them is to make it really, really like the Shea Weber deal he signed with Philadelphia that right. forced Nashville to match. That was really difficult for Nashville to match. That's why that that's how they are done. So Columbus has all of the pieces where they could possibly go in on something like this. So we'll, we'll wait and see if, if that comes to pass. Um, it's been a big topic for this front office all summer 
just sort of working and, and waiting and seeing if the if the time is right. And frankly, I think things change as the season starts. If the player starts to lose money, uh, maybe right. a player that's at this point reluctant to sign one, uh, when signing one could quite likely mean moving on um, to a new organization. I think maybe that changes as the season begins as well. So something to watch. Um, let's look at the Blue Jackets as they stand. As we mentioned, the Blue Jackets open tonight. Alexander Texier, uh, the rookie who played so well in Traverse City and looked so promising late last year for this team uh, in the play in the regular season and at times in the playoffs, he will play tonight. There are a few uh, veterans in the lineup as well. Seth Jones is going to give it a go. Zach Wierenski is going to give it a go. They are not playing together, by the way. Right. Uh, Brandon Dubinsky, Riley Nash, Bjorkstrand. So there's some guys playing playing tonight. Eunice Corpusella will get the start. Um, one thing that's been interesting, and it won't play out tonight because, as we said, Texier is playing, uh, but Dubois and Atkinson are not, uh, is that Texier has spent most of his time uh, so far in this camp on the left side of Dubois and Atkinson. Now, only a fool writes his lines down in ink. <laughs> Things change all the time. Uh, but tell me your thoughts on, on Texier being in there uh, instead of another name that I think a lot of people just assume would, would get the crack there. Yeah, and, and Cam Atkinson is one of those people who thought it was going to be a different player um, on the left side. He, he talked to us about this yesterday. And, and, you know, Cam Atkinson doesn't need to snow anybody, but he's, he had nothing but praise for Tessier's game. He was a name that was a name that I, I'm sure you too. It was one I heard guys repeat over and over on media day when they talked to us unprompted um, is Tessier. And, and the thing is, if he can, has taken his game to the next step, I think he fits there. I yeah. think the concern we saw was one that the player himself admitted this summer was that he learned in the Boston series what he still needed to do. He was a little overwhelmed by that play, right? Um, and, and that would be why a Felino might start on that top line more readily because he has the physical side to his game. He has the experience in his game that he could play those top line minutes. If Tessier can round that out, um, that changes the dynamic of that line a little bit more back to a pure offensively really high skilled line. One that could be quite dangerous. Not that Felino wouldn't be dangerous, but I think Tessier elevates the the threat of that line. Um, who's to say? I mean, we can think back to a few years ago when we had the most dangerous line that never was in the regular season, right? Um, but uh, it, it's an interesting wrinkle. Um, it's one I didn't necessarily see coming, and I'm excited to see how this plays out now. Yeah, one of the concerns I think when when you lose a guy like Panarin is what does it do to the to the two guys. On his line, what, how sure. does Dubois play? Uh, Atkinson's play now. You know, I think people here know that Cam Atkinson was a goal scorer before Artemi Panarin arrived. Right. But th- he certainly carried the puck a lot on that line. I spoke to Dubois about that today. He didn't seem to think it was going to be an issue. I think we may see more of. Pierre-Luc Dubois playmaking mm-hmm. ability because he's going to have the puck more. It's not going to be so easy to just chip it to, to Panarin and head up ice because Panarin loved bringing the puck up the ice. Right. Uh, but I think Texier provides a almost a similar replacement skill wise to mm-hmm. Panarin. Right mm-hmm. to say that? Would you agree with that? Is, is, is 
does Texier kind of spell Panarin skill wise if he's on that line? Yeah, it's a different feel, right? But it, but it's, it's there's a quality of of similarity and replacement ability, not fully, but it's there for sure. sure. Yeah, more of a playmaker, I think, than you would say Felino is, for instance. For sure, totally. The other thing I think I like about this, and I think Tortorella likes this too, is it allows him to have a Felino jenner anderson line. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And that is the line that, you know, that he's talked about how they have to play. That has a real 2016-17 feel to it, that line. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. When it hurt to play them. And I think that's a line he could stick out there after goals, uh, for or against, when if the play has been sleepy, quiet, that's the line that comes out of a uh, – to start the second period or out of a timeout. Um, that's a line you can lean on if you're a coach. Yeah, and it's a line, too, that – I mean, we talk about, as Torts does, too, about how important Josh Anderson is to this team now. I think that's a setup where Josh excels also because <clears throat> you're pushing, you're pushing, you're playing that old, little bit older school hockey, and yeah. then, bang, you've got big Josh Anderson with the offensive ability. Nick Foligno, too. But, you know, Josh coming out there with that shot, with that physicality, that's a wrinkle on a line. I mean, we know Josh hates the comparison, but that's the Tom Wilson double-edged right. sword that makes him so dangerous. Right. He's the, he's the keep-your-head-up element of that line. That's right. Yeah. Um, Allison, we, 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 you know, you get asked this all the time. I think people make way too big a deal out of somebody who scores a goal. It's just because someone scores a goal in the scrimmage doesn't mean they had a great scrimmage or they look good. But it can correlate. And I'm wondering if you've watched a lot of these first three days of scrimmages, as have I. What has stood out to you? What is any? Are you seeing anything of interest? Are you? Are there players who have caught your eye, young or old, uh, that you feel comfortable saying are playing well, or at least stating their case early in camp? I mean, we talked about Tessier. I've definitely noticed him, and then of course we saw him in Traverse too. So that's carrying over for me. Um, I have liked what I've seen of seen of Cam Atkinson. I mean, we joke, but if you if you talk to Cam Atkinson, he is completely focused on offense all the time. And yeah. and I have seen him really owning that. Again, these are camp scrimmages, but if there's a puck to be had, if there's a chance to be made, he's there. He's and it's he's finding even new and different ways that maybe we haven't seen from him as much in the past, at least to my eye. Um, in camp, which is what they need. So I like seeing that. Um, and and you, you had a note on this, a great note on this from this weekend. You know, uh, admittedly, we're watching Alexander Wenberg, but he too right now, there's something there to be optimistic about, in, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I, I like what I'm seeing from him for sure. Yeah, and so the thing, the moment you're talking about, this was, I think, Saturday. Yeah. Um. Everybody knows he doesn't shoot a lot. And yet here he was in the scrimmage puck in the offensive zone. And he shoots from the right circle, just a little bit above the dot. And he scores. And the place was packed. The ice house was packed. Everybody had their their T-shirts on. Um, People were fired up for the first sort of real day of on-ice training camp. And the so every time someone scores, of course, people are cheering. Right. Every time the goaltender makes a save, of course, people are cheering. But Wenberg scores, and the cheering 
the the level was it was louder for sure, but it was different. And there were a few people standing up, cheering. Uh, I mean, almost probably twenty people stood up to cheer. And there was something different in the cheering. And I, 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 I've talked to several people about this. I think half of them think I'm crazy. And the other half are like, dude, I, I don't care enough about it to even think 20 seconds about it. Huh. But I don't know what the difference is between a, cheer, between a Bronx cheer and a We Got Your Back cheer that's audible. Yeah. That, that's recognizable. But that was not a Bronx cheer. That was not, hey, look, you idiot, you finally shot and scored. That was, uh, you can do this and we've got your back. Right. Like uh, wanting to support their player. You can get lost easily, Allison, as you know, in the Twitter world where vitriol is the number one ingredient. And that was really cool because it was like, man, these are, first of all, these are the hardcore Blue Jackets fans. Right. And that, their sentiment was, 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 it felt supportive more than derisive. Yeah. And that, that was really like, I don't want to say intoxicating, but it was really like, it was, um, it was refreshing yeah. to hear that. And Tortorella recognized it. Brad Larson, I spoke to him, the assistant coach, he recognized it. Other players recognized it and don't really want to make a big deal out of it because to make a big deal out of it is to make, is to acknowledge that Wenberg has really struggled and, Right. And that they're hoping he can turn it around too, but it was it was really cool. And I think as Wenberg maybe as the season goes along, maybe he'll be a little more comfortable recognizing something like that. Well, and you know, I wasn't there. I was at a, a conference this weekend, but you know, I, I heard about it almost immediately after it happened, and folks have talked about it since. And as you you brought this very question up to me, the difference of the cheer, and and as I thought about it, it reminded me of that moment in game four against Tampa when Tampa came back and tied it up. And if you recall, and we talked about this then too, you, the arena cheered, right? The arena got to their feet and cheered just as you said to say, Hey, come on guys, we know you're going to do this. Here we go. Just finish this off. And, and it's the similar attitude. And I, I, I have seen, you know, there was this neat little moment too, where we saw Winberg before he did his two mile run and he he doesn't want to talk. He's sick of an- answering the questions that that we sure. ask about f- refinding his game. But you know he did he showed a little bit there too. He said you know I I didn't win the the race last year and this year I'm in the same group with the guy who beat me last year and, and I want to win this year. And then right. he won it with a ridiculous time, by right. the way. But right. there was I mean there were a couple of the usual suspects you know sniping back at at, the, at what he did and that he wanted to win, but you there again too saw this kind of come on man this is awesome like you're showing us competitive spirit you're showing us do itness if that's even a thing yeah. but uh it would the organization needs it i think the player needs it and it would just be great for everyone involved if he can rediscover the dangerous play that he had a few years ago for sure yeah that's probably the biggest step for the Blue Jackets in replacing Artemi Panarin. For sure. Uh, his playmaking. The goals I think you can find. I think those are, I think between uh, Nyquist, Bjorkstrand, Anderson, Dubois, I think you can make up those goals somewhere. It's the playmaking. It's the creativity. It's the 
um, really, I mean, Wenberg may be the key to the power play too. Yeah. I don't know if he's still going to be on it if he or if that's gone for good. But man, he there's a lot, and it's it's the worst thing in the world to have a guy that struggled for two years and and put it all on him. That's probably the the worst way to do it. But there's really no way around it. He's that important to these guys. So yeah, and it's it's funny too, even to you know, there's a. For those of us who've been around a while, there's a little bit of just fun nostalgia because Marco Dano is back. And, right. and and those of us who remember, I mean, it was a line of Scott Hartnell, Marco Dano, and Alexander Wenberg who basically were a huge part of the engine of that year's team. And when Alexander Wenberg's on his game, it, he's a special player to watch because he does think differently. He is strategic. It's why he's also so good on the penalty kill is that he can anticipate and, and, and react to appropriately what someone's going to do against him. He gets the game, right? He just thinks it differently. Um, and when he can put it together, I agree. I think it's, it's the playmaking. It's the ability to have two dangerous lines instead of a top line and then maybe a bottom nine in, in, right. in terms of how we talk about these things. It's huge for this group this year. Yeah. Now, now, Dano needs some work as a commentator. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, suggesting that that was ever the Blue Jackets' top line. Is that what he did today, this morning? Well, he did say that. I think he's he <laughs> perhaps has a different memory than what actually happened. But they were they were effective. There's no question they were effective. They were. And you got to believe. You got to believe. Just really being a professional athlete. You got to believe. Yeah. All right, Allison, anything else we need to get to? I think that's it. I think we can at least rest easy that the, the CBA was voted to stay intact. Yes. So three years of, of hopefully some calm as opposed to a pending lockout. Right. And perhaps a, um, a chance for an extension within those three years if the, the labor piece continues. Indeed. Yeah. So, all right. All good news. Well, Allison, thanks for your time, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. And we will talk to you soon. The uh, athletic.com is, is raring to go. So there's lots of, lots of good copy there from all sorts of points uh, for you to read. Truly appreciate it. And we'll talk to you very soon. Take care.